Welcome to another exciting Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. I'm Donald Dennis, and you can find me all over the internet as Walsfio. Today, I'm thrilled once again to be here with... Chris Bell. And we're going to be talking a little bit about what we did this summer, and apologize for the fact that uh, oh, the last Tales and Tales things that we did with Haba Games came out easily a month late, because I was under the weather for the better part of a month, and then summer <laughs> started, and we were really busy, so... Yes, things have been picking up here. I apologize. Yep. All right. Anyway, so we are not going to talk necessarily about what you can do to add animals to your gaming anymore, (laughs) having done now three episodes of that stuff. But uh, we are going to say, what did we do this year for our summer programming that related to games? Well, we kind of did a two-part thing. There was something we did for all of the libraries and then stuff we did just for ourselves. Right. Well, let's start with the whole library system, since that is only tertiarily game-related. So much laser cutting. Yeah. So many. I think we calculated like 180 hours or something like that of laser cut running yeah, over so like three months. It was uh, 3,000 little storyboards that we made that went to each library so that each one of our five branches could run the same programming over the course of the summer. Mm -hmm. And they had uh, little characters on them, including animals to match the Tales and Tales theme. Though the first one we started out with was more Little Red Riding Hood themed. Right. But I mean, it's still animals. Right. And so it was super fun. Chris and I both did a whole bunch of Illustrator, or in my case, Inkscape drawings Mm -hmm. and, and vector stuff. And the themes were, I think we may have covered this briefly before, but, you know, we had the Red Riding Hood, we had a herpetology theme, forest animals, jungle creatures. Ocean uh, dinosaurs. Ice Age megafauna, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And for most of them, except for the dinosaurs and the the megafauna, which are just strange enough on their own, we tried to add in some sort of mythological creature or weird magical thing. Like we had a, a monkey with a... A cutlass and a banana and dressed in his pirate clothes, sort of. Right. I think we had a unicorn in one of them and uh, stuff like that. A sea serpent, yes. Uh, We had a very angry scarecrow or (laughs) weird-looking scarecrow, living scarecrow for the farm one, and, you know, a donkey in a a hat. Yes. So all kinds of fun things. And even though these are more story-related, they were designed so that kids every week could pick up a set, take it home, paint it. We had magnets with it so they could put them up on their fridge. And, uh, or we even gave out little magnetic boards to the first so many patrons who were able when to When we show say up. we, we mean this library specifically. That right. was not all the libraries. Yes, exactly. Uh, a couple of libraries did that. And I, I didn't know that. And our children's services person was the one who managed all of the public facing that. So, um, Amy and Katie did a great job at making sure that all the work we did on our little laser cutting sweatshop <laughs> uh, was there. And, we have also talked with the fine folks over at the Swarmcast podcast mm-hmm. who run our Pharaoh's Challenge stuff for uh, the ShushCon that we do. Oh, sad news. ShushCon is canceled for October. We hope to do one online. We will not, do, not be doing one in person. Right. Uh, right. That's probably going to be a repeating theme for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to run one in March, even if it's just you and me. <laughs> and you know, and a handful of dice. We're gonna do this, but um, 
So using these wooden figures as sort of character figures in a role-playing game. Mm-hmm. Once again, that's with the Pharaoh's Challenge and John Manus over at the uh, the Swarmcast podcast is, is saying, oh, that sounds like it might be interesting. So we we hope to to have that. We don't know. It's a secret. So if you know, you know, it may not happen. Maybe I shouldn't have spilled the beans here, but it's almost a year away at this point. But we did it anyway. It's eight months away. Yeah, no regrets. All right. No regrets. <laughs> but... So that's it. And kids are going to play and do game-like stuff with it no matter what we do. But it was a lot of fun. And we will put some pictures in. In fact, Chris, we need to get good pictures of all the ones that we had painted up. I have pictures of every set, including the painted ones. All painted? Yes. Oh, nice. Then I need those. Um, I will have to figure out which SD card they managed to make their way onto. mm Mm-hmm. So uh, that's it. That's what we did for all the libraries. And they, they also did some other stuff that we were not a part of, like... Little words, magnetic words for your fridge. Right. But the laser cutting is specifically our contribution. And that took all of our time, really. It really took a long time. I'm so glad that we got the external fan so it wasn't screaming at us at the top (laughs) of its lungs the entire time. Yes, it was a little bit quieter. It was. Uh, All right. So So, uh, let's talk about what we did with our very small classes because our boss told us that for the in-person stuff, we should keep it to smaller numbers at one time. And so we had classes that would take up to 10 people mm-hmm. and there's still quite a bit of room here for folks. Though, of course, being with kids, they all gather in the same five feet of space, no matter how many kids there are, whenever yes. possible. Uh, and well, let's start at the beginning, which was our most game related thing that we did. Well, let me give a little background. What we do is we did a different thing every week, a different class every week of summer. So mm-hmm. it was eight classes. With 10 slots in every class. Yes. And the first week we did, once again, if you're a long-time listener to the podcast, you have heard of the Google See Us First classes or or activities. Mm -hmm. And we did the video game design class. And with that, uh, we ended up having just exactly five people for it for the most of the class. We had one day we had an extra person. uh, Another day we had a fewer person. But um, it was... It was a neat little thing where they get to go through specific exercise, learn using the Scratch Code Blocks program to create video games. Right. It's uh, I mean, it's the beginning of learning code um, mm-hmm. without actually having to type it out. Right. It's not going to teach you any given coding language, but it will teach you the structure of coding. Right. And I mean, it's a powerful little program. You can actually make some neat stuff with it. Mm-hmm. And by the time they were done, they actually had some games um that they could play kind of like uh, very simple games you know avoid the bouncing balls run your mouse through the maze without touching the walls stuff like that yeah and, you know they basically you've got racing games platforming games yeah other things anyway so like it a lot i still recommend it highly it's free the kits that they send out are different than the kits we talked about previously and we ended up not even using the stuff they sent with the stickers. Yeah, pretty much you just go to their website, sign up, and everything's online. There's no nothing physical. You actually need to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. But you can have them send you little certificates with stickers. Yes. If, if that's what you want. All right. So after that, uh, we dove into digital art and laser cutting classes, uh, which we're not going to go into too much here because it doesn't really relate to the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast. But those were, were pretty fun and successful. 
Yeah. Since we're trying to keep our classes smaller, um, I guess sequential, more complicated classes. So it was four classes back to back over four weeks where you started with the vector stuff, which you need for laser cutting and then laser cutting and then more advanced laser cutting and then more advanced laser cutting. And that last class is the only one that didn't make. This. Yeah. I think the age group that we were running with, um, we out leveled them. And also it was over 4th of July weekend or week. Yeah. So that's our dead week anyway. We figured that might be the case. Mm-hmm. Moving on from there, we went to do a tabletop uh, terrain making and miniatures and model making class that was even messier than I expected it was going to be. <laughs> and Chris and I have made some stuff before that it was incredibly messy. Yeah. It, um, it's always hard to get kids to understand what dry brushing is. So that's mm-hmm, fun. Mm-hmm. Um as Chris, they, what is dry brushing? Some of our listeners may not know what dry brushing is because so, it doesn't make any sense. Right. When you are painting things like miniatures of terrain, you want to highlight your corners with light, I guess is the best way to put that, light colors. Uh, so you get a brush and you basically, you put paint on the brush, then you remove all the paint from the brush by running it over like paper or something until there's no paint left on the brush. And then you just start going over the corners of whatever you're painting really fast, repeatedly, and just the tiny little bit of paint that's left over that you couldn't scrape off, uh, gets pulled off on all the high points. And so you get highlights in your stuff. Right. So yeah, let's start off with day one then, since we're talking about painting already, the (laughs) first activity that we had them do was that games workshop has a kit that you can request from them. And in it, it comes with a exceptionally small selection of paints and, uh, miniatures, a variety of miniatures that you can do, a little bit of rule book stuff for their games, that everybody who shows up to this event is going to be able to paint a miniature or maybe two. Uh, gets to use some of the tools that you can buy from Games Workshop. Uh, it comes with brushes, and it's ready to go. It's a, basically an activity in a box. And then, so, yeah, we, we've used this, this box previously. Two years ago, we used it. The paints are still good. Uh, also, I had some paints, and the library has some paints, so we used those. We didn't right. just Right, it is use. the Citadel paints. It is the Citadel paints. I think it's almost all base paint, though. Which is good, because yeah. base paint, you don't have to primer your stuff when you're doing it. Um, I think we did primer it the first time we did it, but the second time we didn't, and it still worked out. It worked fine. Yeah. By the end of the activity, the kids learned how to put on their base coats. They learned how to put in highlight colors. Mm-hmm. They also, we went above and beyond, uh, we taught them how to do washes and dry brushing. Right. And washes is basically super thin paint, usually of a darker color, uh, designed to go into the cracks and crevices to make the shadows deeper. Mm-hmm. And dry brushing that Chris was talking about previously is something that you put over it that uh, that makes the uh, the highlights, uh, the edges and stuff. So it gives your miniatures a lot more depth. It's like talent. It's like I may have botched up where I was putting the other paints, but with enough uh, with enough washes and dry brushing, um, it's going to come out looking uh, pretty striking. Absolutely. And so that was neat. The, uh, the next project that we had them do was we worked on, uh, had them, here's how you make bushes and hedgerows. Yes. And for that, we used the little colorful pom-poms. They would paint up, uh, they glue them to a stick, paint them all up, cover them in flocking, and they had little sets of bushes that they were going to be used so their figures can hide behind or pose next to or whatever. Another day we had them do walls uh, using the uh, big pink sheet insulation foam 
And once again, they got to use their washes and dry brushing and all that. Oh, yeah. And we had them use the Proxon laser cutter, not laser cutter, uh, Proxon uh, <laughs> foam cutter. That's the word I was looking for. That's right. It's the hot wire foam cutter from Proxon. It's a tabletop thing. It looks kind of like a scroll saw, but it's just for foam and it just uses wire. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of thing that we used when we were doing our great big miniatures stuff for D&D and for our Gaslands thing and stuff. We'll talk about that here in a minute as well. Yeah. But, um, and then the big project that we did, we, had, we did something else for that class. I can't remember, but the big project that we did was we had them design or put together a tower. Yes. What do we have them bring in for that? A Pringles can. Right. And almost all of them actually brought Pringles cans, except for that one kid that brought an oatmeal, an container. oatmeal container and made a very big tower. This was wider, but shorter. Yes. So that's fine. And for the Pringles can towers, we had mm-hmm. a couple of ways that they could do it. We taught them, hey, look, you can use the hot wire foam cutter, cut the bricks out, put them on however you want. We mm-hmm. had a bunch of scrap from our laser cut that was brick shaped so they could put those on there. We had, uh, what else did we have? Oh, the thin. So if you use, there's a foam core that you can get at Dollar Tree that you can peel off the paper. Yeah. All right. And with that, we'd cut out strips and we taught them how they could use rollers to put texture into that. And then they would peel the paper off the other side and they would hot glue these sheets of foam around their tower. Right. And this foam is so thin that you can bend it 180 degrees to make a tube, basically. Right. Yeah. It'll go all 360 around the, around the, the Pringles can. And it's just foam core pa- foam, but without the paper on it. Right. By the time you get there. And we had them all doing a variety of stuff. A couple of the girls who were participating used a whole lot of our wood uh, offcasts and stuff from our laser cutting mm-hmm. made some super fancy looking towers. We had some folks who used chunks of foam and just chopped it up or pulled it apart with their thumbnails and made it look like rough bricks. Uh, and we also had uh, some folks use the roller method. Oh yeah. And all of them look particularly odd or different in spectacular ways. It is neat to see how they all came to it. And we also had, roofs of these made out of the big pink foam that we used so they had conical roofs yeah and the proxon foam cutter was super useful for that as well and then we kind of combined everything in this so they did a lot of the painting techniques and the miniatures they did flocking so that their towers had grass Mm -hmm. and so we just kind of brought it all together show them here's how you make a big neat centerpiece for your miniatures or whatever you're doing for practically nothing Right. It's super cheap. The only the only expense for us was the foam because we had everything else. Yeah. I mean and it's again, it's a Pringles can, dollar store foam core. Um, I guess our three D printed rollers were yeah. be difficult, though you could replicate that with I've seen people take I'm trying to remember what it's called, um, the wire mesh. Right. Um like chicken wire or something. Well, it's the ball stuff that you use for cleaning. Um Oh, Brillo pads? Brillo pads or stuff like that. Yeah, and you can scrape it across. Or you can just take anything textured, really, and just smash it into the top of the foam and give yourself right um, rocky textures. The way my wife made her tower, uh, which she'd done previous before we did this, is that we glued on strips of foam, and then she just used 
a pencil and drew on all the bricks or all the rocks. Mm-hmm. So it looked like it was a laid field stone sort of tower. Right. And you just push in hard enough so that it indents the drawings. Mm-hmm. And you get exactly. your texture. And so this was neat. And we've got now several towers here that are incomplete around the room for our, that we were using as demos, as well as the ones that we'd previously made. And uh, yeah, there will be pictures, a link in the show notes for some of the stuff that we have done. It's been pretty fun. Oh yeah. Um, the next thing that we did after our great terrain making experiment. Oh, that was such a mess. I'm putting but on flocking on a bunch of stuff. But not compared to the next week. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was a worse mess. But <laughs> what do we do the next week, Chris? Mold making. Yes. A lot of different types of mold making. And I'm trying to remember all the ones we did. Oh, uh, um, yeah. So, wow. Um, the easiest one to talk about is that we I've wanted a vacuum former for a long <laughs> time. And I was like, oh, I can get this one. It's $1,000. I guess I can't get that one. But I could get the small dental plaster one and it was like for less than $200 uh, mm-hmm. and it's a thing that the dentist will use to make vacuum forms of molds for teeth or whatever it is. Right. It's real small. The vacuum form zones, maybe three by three or four by four. Uh, yeah. I mean, the actual space is maybe like six inches, but the only usable space is just a couple inches across. Right. And so we had a bunch of small things that we made and we also had them cut gems, gym looking things out of potatoes. Yes. And then we shove it in there, do the vacuum form thing, and then getting the potatoes out, if they didn't follow instructions, was always more difficult than it should have been. Though it's a potato, so if it really went bad, they just tore the potato out. It is amazing how many kids wanted to keep their potatoes. They really did want to keep the potatoes. Yes. Or eat them. And I'm like, but they're raw. (laughs) This is not my job. Uh, Yeah, you're the one who handed them food. I did. I did. (laughs) Food-like substance. And uh, then we also showed them how to use, there's a, like a, a, a two-part um, formula where you mix the, it together and then you press things into it and it becomes a soft, rubbery mold. Um, yeah, it's, like, it's almost it's like, like little globs of gum. Yeah, it's like a clay, uh, it's almost like using clay or a Play-Doh that yeah, forms right. into a rubbery mold. A rubbery mold. Uh, and then we also did alginate which is a new material for us. Chris, what do you think of alginate? Um, very messy. Mm. Very easy to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quick. Very quick. So, it's, it's like a pink powder. You add water to it, and then it goes from a slushy to a rubbery mold. Like 10 minutes. Yeah, and then over a few days, it turns into a hard, crusty ball of... Yeah, nasty. It decays relatively quickly as far as molds go. But with the alginate, we did several cool projects. Oh, yeah. Um, First thing we did was we had them cast their thumb. Mm -hmm. And so that was day one. That was another thing that we did was, hey, look at this. Uh, Everybody, (laughs) you can cast your thumb. The final project that we did with them was to have them do their hands. Mm -hmm. In milk jugs. In milk jugs. Cut the tops off and... They shove their hands in there. I think part of the reason we did that is because we also cast a giant horseshoe crab molding. Right. We were sh- so early in the summer. We had been given a horseshoe crab yep. that was not going to last very long, and I don't mean a live one. I mean a horse crab shell. Yes, <laughs> and just the shell. 
and was asked, can you make a mold out of this? I'm like, well, we're doing a class. We'll find out. <laughs> and so Chris did an excellent job at creating a box for the mold that, that it went into. Oh, I guess we should explain. When we do the alginate molds, I mean, it's a mold, and then we use plaster. Um, you really just fill it with any liquid solidifying thing, and then you just tear the alginate off. Right. Right. So. I was going to talk about what we were casting out of after we talked about the mold types, but spoilers. Okay. Spoilers. No. Oh, well. Uh, and so when, when you cast a mold, you basically need a thing for whatever you're casting to go into in most cases, mm-hmm. except for the little Play-Doh. Uh, little clay stuff. And once again, we'll have pictures and references for all the materials that we used oh, yeah. there in, in our stuff. Um, but it was, yeah, there was a big thing a huge pour. That was the largest pour that we did the whole week. Oh was yeah. The horseshoe crab. And then after we had done it once, we're like, well, the mold's still here the next day. Let's cast it again. Significantly worse quality, but it worked. <laughs> It was noticeably worse quality. However, if you hadn't seen the first one, you would have thought it was a good quality thing. For amateurs. Oh, yeah, for amateurs. <laughs> we, we are absolutely amateurs, always amateurs. Um, and it's pretty neat. And now they are giant. We have some giant honking plaster setups mm-hmm. over here. I still wish I got the ratios better because one of them, every time you pick it up, it feels like it's about to break in half. Yeah. Well, we should put wood underneath it. and that'll be Probably. Fun. All right, so that was that. The last thing that we were, bef- actually not the last thing, the thing we did before that that was legitimately the messiest thing we did and the toughest to clean up. And the toughest to do in general. Was the silicone, liquid silicone molds, which uh, now we used, and a thank you to the fine folks over at Reynolds uh, Advanced Materials for helping us get all this stuff together. Uh, they're not sponsoring the show. They're not giving us any benefit from from having telling people about it. Uh, but um, the guy there answered a bunch of questions for me and he advised me against a course of action. I'm like, well, but we, we want to show him a bunch of different things. So he also said, well, then get this one here. It does not require a vacuum chamber pot, <laughs> which is what a lot of this silicone molding stuff requires to get the bubbles out and to make it pour smoothly and, and all that. So, yeah, we weren't terribly worried about bubbles with all our stuff and things like that. Cause I mean, we were doing this with, very young kids. Yep. Nine yeah. and up. Yep, yep. And the, uh, yeah, it was a little difficult to mess, uh, you know, messy, deal with the mess. To get the ratios right was a lot more important with this than it was with some of the other stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, Thankfully, we have a very accurate scale. We do. Now it is covered on top with uh, silicone rev- rev- remnants and bits and stuff. <laughs> that is true. Um so I would suggest when you're working with this stuff, always put down paper or something. Or plastic. We had a table that was supposed to be uh, fairly resilient and unable to be messed up. Um, and it mostly was. But um, it was very difficult to clean. Let's just say um, our boss wrote craft uh, on the side of the table now, and apparently that's what it's been condemned to. Yes, so craft uh, tables. <laughs> um, so there you go. What else? Oh, uh, well, we did learn something when we were having them do their hand casting mm-hmm. that uh, you need to be very explicit about the shapes that they can make with their hands. <laughs> Not because they did anything vulgar, which was a pleasant surprise. Right. But uh, if they didn't do their hands straight or as a fist, mm-hmm. if they did their hands sort of curled and stuff, when they cast it in the plaster, 
uh, there was gaps and voids. Right. Those of you who might know a little something about liquid physics, um, when their fingers are curled up, you can't pour basically into the fingertips because now you've got air trapped in there and there's no way for it to go back out. So some of the molds are missing their fingers just Mm -hmm. because the plaster could not get into the um, gaps. And some of that could have been dealt with with pouring in a little bit and shifting the mold around and letting the air escape. But we had a class full of 10 kids and we weren't doing that. Right. I mean, we were, here is a bucket of mixed stuff. Bring your hand over, I'm pouring. Next Mm -hmm. kid, bring your hand over, I'm pouring. Yeah. And so uh, just be careful if you're doing it. The other thing is don't let them do the claws out or have their fingers be separated because it is way too easy if you're casting in plaster for them to snap off. Yeah, I think we had at least two hands where they two lost the, two all of their fingers. Their fingers. Two, two of them lost oh, three out of four fingers. Yeah. yeah. So Yeah, I think actually both of them survived with one finger still attached. Yep. We told them they could glue it, which it's plaster, they can, but yeah. still sad to see. Sad to see. Uh, and so that was a lot of fun. Now, the material that we cast out of, Chris mentioned that we did use plaster. and of A course, lot of plaster. Plaster is super cheap when you're doing bulk casts. It, it also sets up relatively fast. It doesn't hold detail as well as some other materials, but we were surprised at how good it got. Oh, yeah. And so now, basically, I told their kids that they need to give their parents the thumbs that they got. That way, if the kids ever disappear, uh, the parents have a thumbprint. Oh, happy thoughts. Not everybody, <laughs> not everybody was happy with that. No, maybe I didn't say that to the kids, but I, I did express it to our boss. Mm. I got a look. All yeah, right. that, that happens a lot. Um, but yeah, I think, so we did plaster. Mm-hmm. We did resin. That was nightmarish. UV resin. So um, one of the things that we cast in was UV resin. Mm-hmm. And it, because of the nature of the UV, you want to sort of, it works probably better in super clear casting material yeah. than uh, that you're putting the or mold material. But we, we had some success with it. it. It mostly still came out sticky no matter how long we put it in there. Yeah, we had to do very long cook times, and it, it almost universally destroyed whatever mold we did it in. Right. Um, it was very difficult to work with. So um, the cook times, what that means is like, Instead of the 30 to 90 seconds it suggested on the box, I guess that we would have to put it under the UV light for about five minutes. At least, yeah. Right. Um, now, the when we did that in the styrene packaging, uh, we probably should have used mold release because we had it. Yeah. But it, it, it worked. Um, the other thing is, is that it um, if we use the UV resin in the little the chewing gum stuff that we were talking about before, uh, the Play-Doh like things, it was two part, you mix it up and it's got the soft mold. It popped out of there just fine every time. Oh yeah. So the right material is good. And and one of the things I explained to the kids is that if you are casting with a super hard material, uh, then you want your mold to be a little bit more flexible. Right. And if you're casting in a super soft material, uh, then probably a harder mold is better, but you know, doesn't necessarily have to be rock hard. Right, it's something needs to flex so that you can peel them apart, basically. Um, And when we did not follow that rule, I mean, we were basically tearing the molds off and still, I think some of them still have remnants of the molding attached. All right, and the styrene sheets that we used through the vacuum form machine, um, a lot of those died pretty quick. Yeah. So what else did we cast out of? We had a cosplay foam. 
Yes. That uh, we made some stuff out of. I think it's just called Cosplay Foam. I was trying to remember the name, but I think it's like it one of the brands we got is Cosplay Foam. I don't know if the other bucket had a different name. Yeah. But if you have like said, oh, I want horns for a cosplay costume and they're like little nubs, like little Satan horns or whatever it is that you can make those out of whatever material you want, make your mold over those. And then you shove the cosplay foam in there, make mm-hmm. sure it's in there nice and firm. When you take it out, it's still something that you can sand or carve or whatever and make additional changes to if you want, but it is super light, super flexible still. Mm-hmm. Um, and it springs back into its form. It's not quite like nerf material cause it doesn't have as many air pockets and stuff in it. Right. Uh, but it is ultra, uh, ultra soft, flexible, and you're not going to damage it. It's really specifically easy. for things like outfits. I would have, pieces of on them that stick out or pointy bits that mm-hmm. you really don't want to be dangerous because uh, right. it's firm but soft. And you can make nuts and bolts and stuff out of them right. or whatever. Um, oh, a quick aside. One thing that I always recommend doing is that whenever you're casting and you're mixing something up, always have extra little molds nearby because you're never going to mix exactly how much right. casting material that you're going to want, whether it's plaster or whether it's resin or I mean with UV resin, it's a one part resin that you're squirting into a thing. So that's mm-hmm. not something you're mixing up, but actual resin resin, you're like, I'm not going to get it to the exact millimeter. So you're going to have a little bit left over and you're like, Oh, I'm going to pour this into this nuts and bolts thing or into these little hot wheels, tire size things so that yeah. you've got those that you can use less either, whether it's cosplay bling for later or, more trees or benches or mugs for your role-playing game tabletop, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is that you want to do, just, just make sure you've got some of that kind of stuff available because you're not going to do it. And one of the things we did with the plaster, why I bring this up right now is that we had wrinkled up, uh, aluminum foil yep. so that you could pour the rest of the plaster into that. And you've got, uh, like if you're making a diorama or, a battle board for Warhammer or some other role-playing stuff that you have things that look like rocks that you can then take and break and use for cliff sides or terrain basing material or, or anything like that. Hmm. Um, One other thing we did learn about plaster um, food coloring is not the way to color it. Yeah. I wasn't even going to mention that because everybody (laughs) who's used plaster besides us probably knew that food coloring was the Mm -hmm. wrong way to do that. Uh, There are a, appropriate types of material but what we had was food coloring so i said you know let's try it um yeah that didn't work (laughs) purple works funny enough so uh there's that Uh, another thing that we used was uh, like a two-part epoxy putty uh, that you would mix up kind of like the stuff we were talking about to make the mold out of except Mm -hmm. for this stuff gets rock hard and you can you shove it into things and once again, you want to make sure you get it in there and there's no air and, and whatever. And then it becomes something that's very hard and crisp. So if you're looking for like yeah. escape room props that are going to last or, you know, other tabletop elements, then then it's going to be perfect for that kind of stuff. Um, and I made um, little faces mm-hmm. that you can hang on your wall and I've, you know, cast them in plaster and I've cast them in, in other materials. And that's something I really like. It's a little bit expensive, uh, but you can absolutely use that to fill in molds. Oh yeah. So 
I used it on a face that I had created and we'd vacuum formed. Yeah, it didn't fill in all the way because I didn't push, push it into the corner. So you got to be careful with it. The plaster one came out better. Yeah. I so. mean, it's because, I mean, it's a physical, it's like a Play-Doh type thing again. So you really have to push it into the crevices to right. make sure you're actually covering everything. Right. There's no pour. Yeah. No pour. Uh, and so that's the bulk of what we used. I can't think of anything else major that we that we covered. No, I mean, it was just four days, two hours a day. So mm-hmm. um, I think we ended up covering a lot for all that. But it's the mess was astounding. It was pretty phenomenal. <laughs> uh, it was it was enough that I we got message from the person who was in charge of the auditorium saying, remember when you're done for the day. <laughs> I'm like, but I was using it the next day. Okay, whatever. My, my bad. It was all yeah. my bad. Um, but yeah, so that was that. And then the last thing we did the last week was model rocketry. Yay. And that was pretty much Chris's baby, and I was the assist on that. That's. I mean, it's always a lot of fun. We got model rocket kits that I don't remember what company we get them from. They're always Estes. Estes. Yeah, because they give you really simple to build ones. Um after some teeth pulling, we got the kids to actually glue the rockets together. Mm-hmm. Two of them launched properly. Okay. Well, that was not because of how the rockets <laughs> were built. It was how they were assembled. Yes. Um, um, yeah. No, that they had nothing to do with the company. That's all on how they were put together. Um, if you're doing rockets with kids, you may need to triple check their rockets before the glue is done drying mm-hmm. we had at least one rocket that was mildly dangerous yeah so rockets may not sound like that they're game related but we used a very specific game related tool that i think chris and i have talked about previously yes but that we should go into a little bit of detail again here chris what did we use use kerbal space program mm-hmm. what is kerbal space program um it is a uh simulator game i'm going to use that word um where you are building your own rockets um and launching them and the game kind of simulates the uh, an entire solar system so you're trying to launch the rockets and get around and uh land onto the different planets if you're doing the career mode you're trying to get funding achieve accomplishments and be amazing mm-hmm. um it is incredibly accurate a lot of fun NASA actually sponsored them for uh, an expansion because of how accurate it was. Um, and even with the accuracy, I mean, it's just a lot of fun to mess with and play with and create rockets that will never, ever see above 100 feet before they explode. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was it was super cool. Oh, yeah. And, and the kids some, loved it. They Only one of them was great at it uh that's true <laughs> but um even after the class we had them come in and ask to play it uh during our game time so yep, yep yep and so that's that's most excellent um let's hit real quick some of the other stuff that we did this summer um we had our daily stuff that we had offered to polks and that had a variety of of uptake on them right and so for example like monday was supposed to be our Valheim Day, which was going to be just sort of local area network play of a variety of games, but we stuck with Valheim the entire time. Yes, Valheim got crazy popular. What is Valheim, Chris? Uh, Viking Minecraft is how you describe it every time. It's a... You you say that like you don't agree. It's a survival game where your Vikings um, 
who are trying to defeat five elder gods currently. Um, Foes of Odin. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you're crafting resources, making better gear, building buildings that are grand and fantastic and overly lavish for what you're trying to do. <sighs> I feel called out here. <laughs> I do a little call out. Uh, so what Chris has not yet mentioned is that uh, Valheim was originally made or is still currently made by a very small team of developers. It's actually, I recently learned they upgraded to eight people from five. From five. They recently hired three other players. Uh, it is not actually finished yet, but no. you can get the beta version or whatever it is that's the pre-release version. As of this recording, I know they've launched, I mean, they're just a small indie developer, and uh, this game had eight million sales. Eight million so, sales, yeah. very popular and very well polished for an early access game. Yep. Um, and actually the polish has caused them some issues because, um, they spent the last three months really working on the polish and bug breaking mm -hmm. and, instead of putting out new content. So people are complaining that they're, they're not doing anything, <laughs> but it has been the most popular activity that we've had in the room all summer with oh, yeah. folks coming back every day, playing on our computers as a group, uh, raiding each other's camps and stealing their ships not what you're necessarily supposed to do, but it happens, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. So uh, Valheim has been super fun. We also did uh, a few weeks of, what's it called, of Gaslands. That is true. And Gaslands is a game that we may have talked about before. If not, we'll talk about it at greater length later. And so you're using Hot Wheels cars on the top of the table, and you're fighting each other with them. It's miniatures with Hot Wheels. Uh, it's a death race, really. Yes. Um, you're crashing into each other. You've got weapons attached to your cars and you're trying to either race or destroy the other people, depending on what part of the game you're playing. Right. I will tell you that um, when playing with the kids, they did more running into each other than they did ever firing a gun. Oh yeah. And it was not always intentional. You may find this hard to believe, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So uh, we, one of the things that you'll see pictures of is our great display. Cause we, Chris and I over the pandemic, created a giant uh, arena that looks like it's like an old airport or something is where folks can battle it out Yep. in, in Gaslands. Uh, we also did some escape room stuff, including uh, we played uh, a variety of escape room products, and I'm sure we'll review those later. Uh, we didn't do escape room creation this year like we previously did two years ago and for the few years before that. Our escape rooms just didn't garner crazy popularity, but again, we are in weird times, so our numbers are off. Yes. And, uh, of course, then we still did Minecraft on Fridays. Yes. Our, what are we calling it? All play day. All where play Friday. All age, ages can come in mm -hmm. and primarily play Minecraft. Yep. So that's pretty much it. That was our big excitement for the summer. A lot of games going on mm -hmm. for the relative low amount of players and people that we had. Yeah. I mean, we did keep a consistent amount of players. Uh, we had a lot of people that were basically coming every single day, but we never hit huge numbers like we have before. Right. We had some families that didn't show up last year, I think because we were closed, who mm -hmm. uh, come here usually every summer and learn some of the new games that we've got out. And uh, they took over a big chunk of the room one day, and that was kind of <laughs> neat to see. Um, you know, and our games are still circulating, and they're circulating more and more as time goes on. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's... Uh our board games as checkout items are very popular. 
So. Uh, we It does take quite a bit of effort on our part to constantly, every day, check the games, make sure they're all good before sending them back out. But I think it's worth it. Um, and we have people looking through our collection every single day now, mm-hmm. um, just seeing all these board games out there. Right. Yep. And so it's pretty neat. That's it. I think that's what we have to tell about our summer 2021 recap and and summer summer end review. Yes, yeah, our slow open. Yeah. Now school has opened back up, and we can't wait to see what that brings. Yeah. <laughs> be a little more excited, Chris. I will be a little more excited. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we are carrying over some of our stuff. So our Makerspace Monday is going to include some of our our mold making activities since we have leftover supplies, right? And that kind of thing. So it should be pretty fun. But, so yeah, I mean, we always try to do activities during the school year, and we'll see how you know what gets popular, what people actually come in for. It's always a uh, a fun time. Oh, one thing we forgot to mention in the rocket classes. Hey, Chris. Yes? Where's your rocket? I don't know if I want to say that. <laughs> it might be on a roof somewhere. Of uh, the school next Actually, door. Actually, an awning. <laughs> um, in my defense, not the only rocket that ended up on the roof due to wind. Um, due to wind, yeah. All right. Okay, well, that's it. Uh, I appreciate all of you listening to what we've done. Please head on over to the Games and Schools and Libraries location over on Facebook. See the link in the show notes. Let us know what you did over the summer relating to gaming or what you expect to do this fall. Uh, Also, we will start working ahead of time to get our summer 2022 reading activities available to you early games and suggestions because, uh, you know, you shouldn't have to be hearing that just as you're wrapping up all of your summer activities and going well that would have been nice to know (laughs) Uh, so we apologize anyway i'm donald dennis i'm chris bell and you've been listening to games in schools and libraries well thank you for listening to this episode of the games in schools and libraries podcast you can find out more about us and the people who create this show over at inversegenius.com and all of our other wonderful wonderful shows including on board games, on RPGs, the Inverse Genius Podcast, and the Room Escape Divas. We are also now joined by the Party Gamecast and Nephilop, who you might remember as Stephanie, previous co-host here on the Games and Schools and Libraries Podcast, and our friend Lynn Theory. Thank you for listening. Games and Schools and Libraries is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System.